Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to finish our series today on Surrounded. We're going to finish our look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20. Looking at the last piece of armor in spiritual warfare that is often not discussed as the spiritual piece of armor, but it's right there in the scripture. So we're going to do that in just a couple of minutes. Let me tell you about a couple of things while you're getting to Ephesians chapter six coming up this week that are important for you to know. First of all, um, it is Operation Christmas Child Drop Off Week. So that starts uh, for our, the community. Some churches are even having their drop off at their local churches today, but that's starting um, in the community this week. And so our church will be open um, for people to drop off things here. If you want to uh, help with that, there are multiple ways you can help. You can talk to Laura Stevens, who's our coordinator for that. She'd love to have a conversation with you. There's a... Um, a little area set up just to my left as you walk out of the sanctuary. If you need the uh, tags to put on boxes, um, we are out of the boxes. We have sold or given away all of the boxes that we ordered from Samaritan's Purse. And so you can use any kind of shoebox or box that kind of fits into that mold and bring your stuff in that. But we're going to have our dedication next Sunday morning. So um, bring your boxes as we do each year. Put them on the stage. We'll stack them up here. And so make sure you bring those next Sunday. We're asking you to pack one more than you have before. We'd love to bless some kids um, with that ministry. Also, Tuesday afternoon, we need help because we have 3,000 boxes coming in at one time. And so we need your help at 4.30 on Tuesday afternoon. If you can help, um, come down and help us um, with uh, just to get those boxes distributed and where they need to be. Um, we'll work to get all of those in and packed. And uh, it, the more people that are here, the sooner it'll be done. And then we'll be done and you can you can go on the rest of your day. But if you can help this Tuesday at 4.30, we really need you. I also want to tell you about this Wednesday night's uh, family night meal, which is something we've done for a long time and are still doing. Uh, this Wednesday night is going to be a little different because, um, as many of you know, the people that have been catering ours have, have moved on. They have chosen not to do that anymore. And so uh, this Wednesday night, we are going to have Chick-fil-A night. And so Chick-fil-A is going to cater that. If you have a standing reservation and you want to keep that, that's you just you don't have to do anything. If you'd like to have uh, lunch, dinner with us on Wednesday night, you can make reservations by calling the church office or the in your order of service. You can tear off the edge of that, mark that you want how many reservations you want. We just need to count by tomorrow at noon, so they'll bring the right number of chicken sandwiches and nuggets. We're going to have sandwiches for the adults, nuggets for the kids. Um, and it's uh, one other difference is it's cheaper this week. It's five dollars per person to do that. And so Chick-fil-A is bringing that. We're thankful for them for uh, for providing that this week. So I wanted you to know about that. Last thing. Last week, we talked about Chris Phillips was planting a church, launching a church day one last week. And I got a report from him on Sunday afternoon. They had over one hundred and forty people from the community at their first service. Now, that yeah, that's worth clapping about. That's awesome. Now, they had they had over 200 people there, but he said 60 of those were family, friends, and well-wishers. And one of the really cool things that happens in the Denver area, when they plant a new church, all the other church planters come to support them on their first day. And so about 10 church planters were in the service that day. So they had 140, over 140 people there on that work that's getting going. So that's an exciting, exciting thing. So continue praying for Journey Point Church in Stapleton, Colorado. We've been in this series called Surrounded. 
about spiritual warfare and the reality that it is around us whether we realize it or not. Last week we talked about that there are certain times in life when you can expect spiritual warfare to be amped up. When you begin to grow spiritually or when you're invading enemy territory, you're exposing the enemy or you're breaking from the world or the blessings are about to come. And I was thinking about that all week, obviously. I'm, I'm thinking about what I preached last week and moving into what's happening this week. And got up Friday morning and uh, got ready to take the boys to school. Um, and I don't know if you remember Friday morning. That's been almost two days. Or it has been two days, right? But it was nasty, right? Rainy, cold, like that... That, that when they talk about dreary November days, it felt more like a dreary January day, right? It was just dreary and cold. And so um, we had, um, as, as some of you know, we had an accident recently in our Traverse. The Traverse, we'd gotten it back this week. So I was back to driving my Ford Escape, which is the car that we bought about seven months ago when our other car just died on the road. While I was driving it, our red Traverse just died. So it's Friday morning, get up, get the boys to school. We've got a full day plan. They've got school. And we have a tradition in our family that we started just about four or five years ago. The kids now look forward to where we do Larson family of six early Thanksgiving. We have turkey and dressing and we do stuff and we had getting all that stuff together. I was working on some of that. I do crock pot chicken and dressing. I'm sorry for those of you that are purist, but um, it's it's easier for me. All right. And so we I had plans to get all that done. Our kids love it because, you know, as you know, when Thanksgiving comes, we're with cousins and family and it's just a nice time to sit around the table, just the six of us and do it. So they didn't know that it was a surprise for the kids coming. And so get in the car. I've got the whole day planned. Get in the car, start to drive out Long Hollow Pike towards T.W. Hunter Beach, dropping Luke off, dropping Eli off. And just about the time we get to beach, the car kind of sputters a little bit. I'm like, oh, that's a little strange. It's enough that Eli goes, is something, everything okay? I said, yeah, everything's all right. And I push the gas and it goes, hmm, that's probably not, that's probably not good. Let's pull over at the new shackle fire station here. Y'all know where I'm talking about, right? We pull over there, see if everything's all right, turn it off. Maybe the computer went crazy. Turn it back on, starts back up, gets in gear. We're good. We start to go up the ramp. Get out on the Long Hollow Pike in Beach T.W. Hunter and Beach Elementary traffic. It's crazy. Don't go there at that time of day. Push the gas. <laughs> Nothing. Pull over into some mud. Almost get stuck in the mud. Try to finally get out. Turn it off. Turn it on. Get it back on the road. Start to go a little bit. All right, sounds good. Get up to the stoplight. Turn and left. Won't go. Push the gas as much as I can. Finally, it kicks into gear, gives us all whiplash, and we move. I co- the whole time, Eli and Luke are going, "What do we need to do, Dad? How? What do we?" I'm like, "I don't. I'm just trying to get you to school, boys. All right." Coast into Worshams. Y'all know Worsham's little gas station right there? It's only been around for 824 years. I don't know. I got some good sausage and biscuits, I'll tell you that. All right. Coast into Worsham's. Eli and Luke say, we'll just walk the rest of the way. I said, that, that's the only choice we got. Listen, every kid needs I had to walk to school in the snow and rain story. Well, my boys have one now, all right? 
call a, call a couple of people trying to figure out what's going on. Call the dealership, and they say, "Listen, well, that, it shouldn't be. It should be something simple, no big problem." We, you know, those cars. It's a 2015. It's only three years old. Of course, out of out of warranty, but only three years old. Shouldn't be a big deal. Shouldn't be anything big. It's like, all right, all right. So tell me what's going on. So I told him. He goes, "Ooh, well, uh, mm, mm. I don't. Well, that may that may be a problem." So we make arrangements to get the car there, make arrangements for somebody to come pick me up, take me to the house, find out, stop and get the car, Susan's car. Susan doesn't know anything is going on. I have to call her after school and go, by the way, I'm picking you up today. She goes, I drove. To, yeah, I know you drove, but we only have one vehicle now. Just letting you know. As I'm on my way to get her, get the phone call from the dealer. They put it on the computer. And guess what? It needs a new transmission. And I was sitting there, and I had just read a quote from Tony Evans. Y'all know Tony Evans? One of my favorite preachers. Tony Evans says, Whatever is plaguing you today in the physical realm is emanating from the spiritual realm. Whatever's going on in your life has as a root the spiritual warfare we've been talking about for the last few days. You know the kicker to the whole thing? We don't know what we're doing with the thing yet. We're still in that process. But a gracious family in this church loaned us a vehicle to drive that they had extra at their house for a few days till we figure it out. You know the kicker? The back windshield of that car has wildcats on it. And it's got a University of Kentucky license plate. I got to wear orange every day. Although it feels a little better after yesterday than it would have if it had gone differently. Can I get an amen? Oh, never mind. All right. Remember last week I said that spiritual warfare comes when you start talking about it? That it happens a little more? It's a vehicle we've had for six months. Now we're facing a difficult situation. And the easy thing would be to say, man, blame the car or dealer or the manufacturer, but the truth is, behind all of that is a spiritual reality and battle that is happening. And our enemy wants us to forget that. He wants us to blame our spouse or our boss or our friends or or, or that drink or that drug or that website, that emotion, that problem, that car. Or even you. He wants you to blame you. And those may be symptoms, those may be manifestations of what's going on, but the cause of every issue we have in life goes back to the spiritual battle that is raging in our world. And if you want to access and walk in the victory that is already yours, you must address the spiritual issues in your life, not just the physical issues. Not just what's going on on the surface. You have to dive deep and to analyze and to talk about and to pray about and to tap into the spiritual aspects of your life. Over the last few weeks, we've been focusing on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. We've been piece by piece walking through that passage of Scripture. And we're going to add the last three verses of that today. But we're going to read the whole passage so we get it all in context and then talk about the last three. Chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, in conclusion, or above all, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And we've talked about the schemes of the devil, the deception of the devil, what he's trying to do to get us to focus on other things, to try to make big things small and small things big, to focus on things that don't really matter, to focus our attention on other people and not on the spiritual battle that's happening, and to pull our attention away from God. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, Spiritual forces in the heavens. It's not a battle with people, although that may be a part of it. But they're really at the root cause. It's a battle that's spiritual. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth, sincerity, truthfulness, because of the truth that God has given us, because of the reality of who He is, wear that truth, live that truth, live sincerely, live in a way that gives truth to what God has done. Don't be hypocritical. Live authentically, like a belt around your waist, with righteousness, Like the armor on your chest, the righteousness that God provides through the blood of Jesus that he gives to us. And to live out what God has called us to do. As Ephesians 4 says, to live worthy of the calling on our lives. And our feet ready with the gospel of peace to share with people the truth of what God has done for this and how he can change their lives. continues. In addition, or in every situation... Take up the shield of faith. We talked about that last week. The door-like shield that protected against all things. Which can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. The one that protects our mind and what we think and how we see ourselves. And the sword of the spirit. Short sword. Hand-to-hand combat. Which is the word of God. We talked about that's not just the word of God as in the scripture. It is the spoken word. Our telling of the word of God. And then here's the last piece of the armor. Pray. At all times. In the spirit. With every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that's for Paul, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But you know what's interesting to me about Paul here? He prays for boldness. Where is Paul when he's writing this letter? He's in prison. What's he in prison for? For his boldness. Right? And what does he want to be more than? More bold than he has been. Man, that's challenging. Amen? If it's not, it ought to be. When I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Next verse. For this I am ambassador in chains. Again, pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Today we're going to focus on those last three verses. Those verses that talk about the piece of armor that is often left out. And that is prayer. Look through those in verse 18 through 20. The number of ways that we have words that mean the same thing. Pray at all times with every prayer, with every request, intercession, pray. Each time it says it over and over that he wants us to pray. And it's almost like he is summing up the summarization. 
that chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 is my final instructions to you. And this verse is about prayer is, and in the midst of my final instructions, let me give you the most important thing you can do, and that is to pray. Prayer is something that has been studied, written about, and talked about, and preached about. Lessons have been given. Workshops have been done. But the problem is, when you take the landscape of the church today, you see that prayer is lacking in practice. True biblical prayer is lacking in practice. For some, prayer is a part of their lives, but it's a meaningless habit. It's just something they're repeating. When this person was singing the Lord's Prayer, I thought about the verses right before the Lord's Prayer when the disciples had come and they had asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Or in the book of Luke, teach us now to pray. Show us, Jesus. I think it's fascinating to me that of all the things Jesus did, the only thing we have in Scripture the disciples ask Him to teach them about is how He prayed. Like, I might want to get on some of the miracle stuff. How'd you, how'd you do the walking on water? We're Baptists, so we can't ask how to turn water into wine. But we're, you know, you want to ask about like those kind of things. But they don't ask about the miracles. They don't ask how to heal people. They don't ask how to teach. How do you teach or teach us to teach? At least what we have recorded in Scripture. But we have recorded in Scripture, they say, teach us how to pray. And when he tells them to pray, before he even gives them the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he says, let me give you a couple of things. First of all, don't make it a big deal. Don't show off for everybody. Don't try to impress everybody. But then he also says, and don't do like the pagans who just say the same thing again and again and again without any meaning. When you pray, mean what you say. And the problem is there are a lot of people in our churches today who are praying, but it is a meaningless habit that they do. Or they see prayer as a spare tire. That at the last minute, if something's gone wrong and they've had a blowout, they think, boy, I better pray about this. Better get, better get to the Lord about this. And yet scripture makes it clear that prayer is essential to having access to what God intends for us. In fact, prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference. And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times in my life that I need heavenly interference. The reality is I need heavenly interference like all the time. Because left to my own devices, I don't do very well. Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference. See, when God created the world, He created man and He placed us in the garden. And in the garden, He gave us the choice to rule. He gave us the command to rule. And He gave us the choice whether we're going to rule on our own or we're going to call on Him. So you have the choice in your life on a daily basis to leave Him out of the life that you are living. And Romans 1 tells us what that looks like when man chooses to leave God out of the equation. He turned them over to their own devices and it is ridiculously bad. Or, in the midst of your life, you can call out to him and include him in what's going on and ask him to intervene on your behalf. I just want to be honest with you. There are a lot of things that don't happen in our church, that don't happen in your life, that don't happen in this world because we don't ask God to do it. There are many things God can do but doesn't do because we haven't asked. Now, some, some, sometimes people get all kind of 
up in arms about that. What about the sovereignty of God? Listen, we, we, I did a sermon series. We don't have time to go into all this right now. I did a sermon uh, a few months back if you want to listen about what I think about sovereignty of God and free will of man and all that. Here's what I know. The scripture teaches that God is in absolute control of all things. Nothing happens under his watch without him having a part of making sure he's in control. I also know the Bible teaches that we have real choices that make real differences in our lives. And I don't understand how that works, but I can tell you that Scripture makes it clear that God waits on His people to ask before He intervenes in situations. And when you ask based on His Word, based on His truth, based on His promises, based on His character, He will answer. Now, you can't force Him. And here's the truth. If you're having to force God into something, it isn't something that you want anyways. You call on Him. There are things that he wants to do, that he's waiting to do, that he's willing to do, but will not happen unless we pray. And what Paul wants these people to understand at the end of his description of the armor of God is don't begin to trust in just the armor. In fact, what he would tell them that we shouldn't trust in the armor, but we trust in the God of the armor. That we trust in the one who created us. And we do that through prayer. Paul makes it very clear through the way he puts this passage, the way he puts things into this passage, the way he adds verse 18 on the end of this, that prayer is the focus of the armor of God. And that without prayer, all the other instruments will be ineffective because we have neglected the one who is the one that gave us the armor. Edward Payson, who wrote 200 years ago, said, prayer is the first thing, the second thing. And the third thing necessary to do God's work effectively. Pray, my brother. Pray, pray, pray. E.M. Bounds in his classic work on the power of prayer says this about us. Men are God's methods. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men and women. What church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more or novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. People of prayer, mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men and women of prayer. And Paul's point at the end of this passage, when we get through the breastplate and the head, the, the, the helmet, and we get through the belt of truth, and we get through the feet sandaled and the shield that's up there and the sword of the Spirit, his point at the end of all of that is, if you're trying to live your life just like you're strapping on armor every day without a connection through prayer to the God who loves you and cares for you and protects you, then you are futile in your fighting. Scripture makes it clear. That our prayers make a difference. And that God waits on us to pray before he acts. Look at James chapter 5 verse 16. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. This is a list of things he tells them to to have thanksgiving, to show comfort. In fact, um, this is a place where he talks about praying at all times in every way as well. And then he says this in chapter 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now, some of you grew up with the King James Version. And that was the prayers of a righteous 
man availeth much. It took me 20 years to figure out what availeth much mean. It means it's very powerful in its effect. It accomplishes a lot. And so the question becomes, then what kind of prayer are we talking about? What do you mean? What do you, because it's easy to talk about prayer and not actually talk about how to pray. And the beautiful thing about chapter 6 of Ephesians here is that Paul gives us a blueprint, not only of the importance of prayer, but also how to do it. Look at these verses again. Verse 18. You can look at them there in your scripture if you've got it open. Verse 18 says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. So what kind of prayer are we talking about here? Three things that Paul mentions that our prayer ought to be made up of, ought to be, um, that ought to be characteristic of our prayer. And the first thing is that we ought to pray consistently. Consistent prayer. He makes that known in two ways. He says there that we are to pray at all times with every prayer and request. The idea is that we ought to be consistently working at it. At all times, in every way. You know what the word all means? All, right? All times. Now it's interesting because that word there has two, is a, is a particular Greek word for time. There are two words for time basically in the Greek. There was one that was like chronological time. Like tick tock time. Like look at a clock and you think about the hour time. And so that word, if it were used here, which it's not, would mean that in every second of every day, be praying the whole time. Uh, Or or in another place where it says, pray without ceasing. That's not the word that's used here, okay? The word used here is for opportunity or moment. And the idea behind it is that in our lives, there are going to come special moments when God is going to want to work, when God is going to want to live through us, when God is going to use us for His purposes, for His goals. And in those moments, we need to be prepared and ready and able to pray that God would use us at all times. In special moments. That doesn't mean that when you wake up in the morning, you need to begin praying and that literally all day long you were saying prayers out loud. What that means is that you're in an attitude of prayer all day long, depending upon the Lord, seeking the Lord, and that you have moments within the day when you say, right now, Lord, I need your patience. Standing in 40 degree rain and weather at worships with a transmission falling out of your car is a time you need prayer. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? I just need support this morning. All right, I'm there. You get a phone call from the doctor, and the diagnosis is not as good as you'd hoped. The recovery isn't as quick as you would like. You get a phone call from school. Something's happened with your child or grandchild. They made a mistake. They said something they shouldn't have said. They didn't act like you would see them. They ought to act. Pink slip comes from the office. Adult children walk away from the Lord. Make choices that you know are going to destroy them. Parents begin to fade. Health 
and mentally. Praying at all times, depending on the Lord. The ideas are that there are certain times in our lives when we are strategically open to the attacks of the enemy more so than others. When at those moments, either we're angry or we're sad or we're upset or we're excited and the enemy knows to strike in that moment. And the way we protect ourselves is that when those moments arrive, we are already in an attitude of prayer. Now, the way you cultivate that is that you have a consistent prayer life all the time. I'm not one for formalized prayers. I'm not one that you have to say the same thing in the same way because I believe that that goes against what Jesus said about saying things with meaningless repetition. What I do think, though, there are certain things that ought to be a part of every prayer you have with the Lord. The simplest way to remember those is the Acts method. Many of you know the Acts method. You adore the Lord. You tell him how great he is because there is no one worthy of praise like our God. No one. Consistently talk about him. You confess your attitudes, your actions, your words, your thoughts. Confess to him the things that you have done wrong. Confess just means to agree with the Lord that you've done it wrong. God's not looking to condemn you, but he is looking for you to be free of guilt and shame and to let go of those things that you have done wrong. You give thanks. One of my favorite things about Larson family of six early Thanksgiving is that we get to sit around the table and we give thanks. I especially needed that Friday. To give thanks for what the Lord had done. Because it's easy to get so wrapped up in what's going on in our own lives that we lose sight of the blessings we have from God. And we are a blessed people. Amen. And then supplication. That's all the ones a little weird because we don't, we talk about those other threes. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. We don't talk a lot about supplication anymore, but it means you just ask the Lord. We're going to talk a minute some things to ask the Lord, but the idea is that you go to the Lord and you bring your request to Him. But that only comes after you have given the praise and honor He deserves, after you have confessed to Him the things that you have done in your life that aren't there, and that you have given thanks. And it also is not to be disproportionate to other things. It's not to be, Lord, you are great. Thank you for all you've done. I really messed up yesterday in the way I talked to my brother. Now let me give you 45 minutes of request. Right? And sometimes in our prayer life, we rush to the request without spending time in the relationship. Our prayer ought to be consistent. Second thing that Paul says here is that it ought to be intense. He says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert. The word there is stay awake. Some of you are experiencing that right now. You're getting poked in the side. Stay awake. Stay alert. Wake up. The word there literally means without sleep. Keep watch. Be vigilant. Be looking. Be focused. Not dozing off. Your enemy wants to make it difficult to pray, but in prayer we ought to be focused on the Lord and what He's doing and how we can work and how we can be a part of that. And we are to focus our mind's attention on that and live towards the Lord with that and love on people with that idea and always looking out for things. Part of the reason that spiritual warfare happens when we talk about spiritual warfare is not because spiritual warfare hasn't been happening. It's just that we notice that it's happening. Do you know what selective hearing is? Some of you didn't hear that. Do you know what selective 
hearing is. Some of you selected not to hear that, right? Yeah? You know that when you're listening in a crowd, you ever been in a crowd and somebody says your name and your ears perk up? Y'all know that, right? You know you've been hearing the whole conversation. You just hadn't cared till they mentioned your name. And then you're like, what? What are they saying? Right? Now, the, bad, the, the good thing about having a name like Lyle is there ain't a lot of people around that's got that name. And so it's not like you get confused for other people. When someone says Lyle, they're talking about me, usually. You'll perk up and then you'll kind of... Let me see what I can... Right? See if I can hear it a little bit. What's going on here? says that our spiritual antenna used to, needs to always be up. We need to be in tune with what's happening with the Lord. I grew up in a time when we didn't have cable TV. It's tragic, isn't it? Back in the day. And when Dad would call me into the living room, not to watch a program with him, but to adjust the rabbit ears on the TV to be able to get the program. Y'all remember those days? Turn it to channel three, and then allow you get over there. And anybody here ever have ten, have a aluminum foil on your antenna? See those hands? I see those hands. All right. Some of you aren't too good to have that, but we weren't. All right. We had the aluminum foil on the bunny ears, and I would literally stand behind it and do it. And every once in a while, an important game was going on. My dad was a huge, and this is, may not sound, my dad was a huge Memphis State basketball fan, and and they would play. On like the PBS station out of Memphis. And we would sit there and he would have me hold it. And then I'd walk away and the signal would go away. So you know how I watch some basketball games? Like this. Right? Next service, many of them won't get anything of what I'm talking about right now. All right? Because you had to get the antenna in the right spot. Paul says, don't just pray out there without focused attention on what needs to be prayed about. Keep your spiritual antennas aware of what you need to be focused on in prayer. Be aware of what's going on around you. And work at it. Sometimes in the church we want to make prayer too easy. Anybody can do it. Just start. Just talk to the Lord. And it is just a conversation with the Lord. But here's what I want to tell you. When you are entering into prayer, you are entering into battle. And the enemy will make it difficult for you to do. He will make you tired. He will make you distracted. He will do anything he can to prevent you from praying. Because prayer is the lifeline that goes between you and the power of God. Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband Jim is one of the missionaries killed... um, in service in South America, said about prayer late in her life. People who ski, I suppose, are people who happen to like skiing, who have time for skiing, who can afford to ski and are good at it. Recently, I found that I often treat prayer as though it were a sport like skiing. Something you do if you like it. Something you do if you can't afford the trouble. Something you do if you're good at it. But prayer isn't a sport. It's work. Prayer is no game. It's the opposite of leisure. It's something to be engaged in, not indulged in. It's a job you give priority to. It's performing when you have energy left for nothing else. Pray when you feel like praying, somebody has said. I say pray when you don't feel like praying. Pray until you do feel like praying. Intense prayer. Consistent. Intense. And here's the last one. Strategic. 
Paul, notice what Paul asks them to pray for him. What does he ask? He only makes one request that he would be what? Bold. Again, where is Paul when this is happening? He's in prison, right? Chained to a Roman guard. Notice what Paul does not pray for here. He does not pray for his release. You know what I'd be praying for? Now, I'm not saying Paul didn't want to be released. But Paul's more concerned that the gospel is spread than in his release from prison. There are multiple times in a week when I go back to that first line in The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, it's not about you. And many times, way too many times, I make my prayers about me. About my family. And I'm not saying God doesn't care about that. God does passionately care about you in every detail of your life and every issue of your life. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is the focus of our prayer? Oftentimes what we're doing is we're asking God to arrange our lives to be easier and more comfortable so that we can have a better life instead of focusing on whether or not we are praying that God would expand his kingdom and bring glory to his name. How much of your prayer is spent asking God to use you and to use our church to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ among the nations with boldness? What if, and for the next week, the only request you made of the Lord was that you would speak boldly before others about Him? And that I, as your pastor, would speak boldly before others about Him? Paul has a list of complaints. If you don't believe Paul had a list of complaints he could have brought, you read that passage in Scripture where he tells you all the things that had happened to him. Beaten. He had scars from where he'd been beaten. Jesus received the lashes before his crucifixion. Paul received the same. Stoned. Now they didn't succeed because stoning led to death. You know what stoning is? It's not throwing pebbles at you. Rocks thrown at you. Huge boulders. In the open sea. That's like horror movie stuff. He's sitting in a jail cell and he could easily say, you know what I'd really like to do? What I'd really like to do is to get out of this place, go have a couple of, um, a couple of weeks just to sit where I could write some more theology. But what does he pray for here? Boldness. How often do you pray that God would use you with absolute boldness? He gets to the end of his list of all of the weapons that we use to fight the battle of spiritual warfare. And he says that the most important thing you can do in the midst of the battle is to pray. To pray consistently. To pray intensely. And to pray strategically. Over the next week, I challenge you to set aside a time to pray. And when you sit down to pray, spend some time giving praise to God, spend some time confessing to him things that you know in your life, asking him to reveal things that you need to confess, giving thanks to him. It's a good time of year to think about that. People are thinking about it all over. And then say, Lord, what would you want me to pray about for the glory of your name and the spread of your kingdom? What would you want me to pray about? And then just pray.
Whatever is plaguing you today in the physical realm is coming from the spiritual realm. How are you standing firm in the midst of it? Let's pray together.